Hey, this is Derek D-Train, he too. Tonight's episode is brought to you by KingTuckGraphics.com. Are you looking for a better way to promote your business? Have you ever thought about a new sign, window film, clear coat, or even wrapping your vehicle? Think about it. All the time you spend in your car driving around Raleigh, North Carolina, a vehicle wrap can be working right alongside you. A clear branding strategy can make the difference between your next call or not. If you're in Raleigh, North Carolina, check them out at KingTuckGraphics.com. Your satisfaction with their products and service is guaranteed. So go online to KingTutGraphics.com and check them out. Get a free quote and get started with KingTutGraphics.com. Hello! Welcome back to the Blue Line Hockey Club, folks. It's that time of week again. We got the usual suspects sitting in with us. We got episode 81 tonight. We got all the boys sitting in tonight. We got our producer, Patrick Uncle Sullivan. What's up, Patrick? Aloha. And the local sports guru, Derek D-Train Heat 2. What's up, D-Train? What's up, Sweeno? And the local nerd on staff, our IT guy, Robbie Pete Peters. What's up, Pete? Hey, how you doing, man? And your host of the Blue Line Hockey Club tonight, Mark Beth Doctor. Morley. Very special guest tonight. We got an interview brought to you by Branded Bills. We have former NHLer, played with the Blackhawks. He played with uh, the Flames. The National Predators and St. Louis Blues. He also uh, played in our local home, hometown of Potsdam, New York, for the Clarkson Golden Knights. We have Steve Dubinsky tonight. What's up, Steve? So much, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Steve. Uh, you know, thanks for coming on the Blue Line Hockey Club. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you played in the North Country at, at Clarkson University, and you know, I know that you're uh, from. I believe you're from the Montreal area, and. You know, what was it like? I'm just curious. What was it like back in the, you know, I think it was the early 90s to come from a, a place like Montreal, um, the Canadian culture, the French culture, um, over to the States and, and play hockey in Potsdam, New York? Uh, was, it, was there much of a change for you coming coming over to the States or was it fairly the same? Oh, yeah, it was a huge change. You know, growing up in Montreal, especially at the time, there really wasn't a ton of you know, Quebec players that were going to play college hockey. And, you know, just I remember going to visit the first time at Walker Arena. And, you know, it was just, it was one of those experiences that you never forget. The bell, the band, you know, it was, you know, for, for, a, for a, at the time I was 18 when I first visited. But, you know, coming from Quebec where it's a really, really heavy Quebec major junior hockey league market to go to college, like I didn't really know much about it tell you the truth um but you know my first two years were walk were at walker arena which was completely crazy and then we moved into chill for my junior and senior year and you know it was it was way different it was it was something that a lot of kids i think would have enjoyed the experience but i just didn't think they were educated enough to to know the process in terms of, you know, a lot of kids went to play Quebec Major Junior at 16, 17, giving up their college eligibility. And, you know, they end up going to Canadian college, whereas myself and Hugo Belanger at the time, Marty Dorsonins, where all three of us were from Quebec, that went in the same year. And, you know, it was very, very different for, for all of us. You know, I was the only English speaking of the three, but just, you know, the whole culture and, you know, everything – that college hockey represented was way different. Yeah, we actually just were speaking about this before he came on the show about how, 
things have changed drastically as far as how many uh, NHL players are coming out of college now. And um, it's not so much oriented as far as the Canadian players just going to the juniors and, um, you know, looking to get picked up right out of, of juniors. And we have people in college actually leaving early quite often now. Um, and these guys, these young kids actually playing, uh, you know, at a, such a young age in, in the show. And it seems like probably back in your era, um, you know, kind of if you follow your career, it takes a while. It took a while to get to that um, debut in the NHL. Yeah, I think I think it's changed a lot just because, you know, the and I look at Clarkson and obviously, you know, I had a great four years there. But if you really look at, you know, the college programs that are producing, you know, one and two year players for the most part they're the big 10 schools, the hockey, you know, BU, BC, uh, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, Minnesota Duluth, like there's a small number of college programs that are producing kids who are getting drafted, let's say out of the development program who are playing one year, two years in, in, in college hockey and then jumping into the NHL. And the other thing too is what's happening is the, with the cap, a lot of these NHL teams need entry-level contracts to afford the high-paid guys. Yep, for so sure. That's, that's you know, and I, I've, I've talked to a lot of GMs, friends of mine who have played with, and you know that's kind of the common theme with it is the guys that are playing junior hockey are signing their entry-level contracts when they're you know, 18, 19. They're playing junior for one or two more years. Then they're jumping into the pros. And it's costing the teams money to, to have them under contract. With the college guys, these guys are developing in college and it's not costing anything to the pro team, but they're able to develop without having to pay them any money, then jumping in to sign their entry-level contracts, but they have three full years. Whereas a lot of the junior players might only have one or two years left on that deal. And I think that's been a big change for just in general. And I'm just speaking from just just talking to a lot of guys and just knowing kind of the way the system works now is, you know, you look at, I'll use Alex Turcott as an example, who's at Wisconsin, who's a first rounder, fifth overall. He's probably one year at Wisconsin, signs his entry level with the Kings. Now Wisconsin has to replace a fifth overall pick. So, you know, Clarkson is, you know, my – you know, get off top of them. My young, my middle son is at RPI as a freshman, and they played Clarkson last weekend. So it was it was great for me to go back. You know, we played it in in Troy, but the team that Clarkson's put together is is one hell of a team. Yeah, we actually so, had know, the coach. Co- co- he's done a tremendous yeah. job. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that actually, Dave. Uh, Dave he's a great guy. I saw that he was on one of the podcasts. But yeah. you know, Clarkson has grown the last, like, say, three four years into a national powerhouse similar to, you know, the four years that I had there when we won two ECACs, went to a frozen four, like, you know, we had a great team. And I know Clarkson got away with, got away from that for a long period of time. And Casey and those guys have done a tremendous job bringing back, you know, the program to national level. Yeah. Also when, when you were, you know, back when you were going into college, a lot of times, I know you went a little younger than some, but, you know, the college teams didn't even really want to see these players until they were 20, sometimes even 21 years old coming in as a freshman. Um, and that's changed quite a bit over the years, too. 
Well, like I said, I think that, you know, it kind of goes to, to the same line of, like, of thinking that the, the, the bigger programs in the country, they're recruiting younger players, meaning it's changed now because they changed the rules. But up until last May, there was no rule as to when you could recruit and verbally get a commitment from a kid. So in other words, BC, BU, Wisconsin, Michigan, Notre Dame, I mean, the list goes on and on of the top programs. They're recruiting 14, 15 year old kids that are now going that they're going to the development team for two years. Then they're jumping in as nat as, as, you know, natural freshmen. So yeah. the old, you know, some of the programs, you know, the RPIs, some of the programs in the WCHA, in the NCH, uh, NCHC, they're going out and they're recruiting kids and they're coming in as 20, 20 year old, 21 year old freshmen. So college hockey is very split between, you know, winning programs and players that are putting players and, and programs that are putting players into the pros at a, you know, at a, at a rapid rate. And it's hard for these bigger programs to have success winning national championships when you're constantly replacing first and second round NHL picks. Yeah. You know, Clarkson had uh, Nico Sturm last year, you know, uh, Sheldon Rample, but, you know, for the most part, they're losing one and two kids max. The bigger programs that are recruiting these high-end NHL draft picks, like BU lost eight kids last year, all signed NHL contracts. Like, how do you replace that? <laughs> yeah, they, they did. They somehow found a way. They had like six or seven kids from NTDP, but you know it's really difficult. Whereas I think you know guys like Dave Smith at RPI and Casey at, at Clarkson, you know, very similar schools. You know, at this point, they're on different uh, trajectories, in my opinion. I think Clarkson is at the peak. Whereas you know, in watching Zach, my son Zach's team. I see that they're on an upward trajectory. Dave Smith in his third year, you know, similar to my situation when I went to Clarkson, it was Mark Morris's second or third year. And he, his, his number one priority was to make sure the players he brought in were his type of player. And I think that's something that gets sometimes overlooked when a new staff comes in is how hard it is to, um, you know, work with, you know, you can't make trades. It's yeah. not like pro or junior where you can make trades for players you don't want. You know, guys are signing, you know, $80,000 scholarships. You can't just get rid of them. And yeah. I know Casey, when he first got there, was in the same boat. Like, it's not an easy road for coaches that go into programs that uh, are, are kind of left with a group of players that maybe don't fit the culture of the coach. Steve, with you saying that, and, you know, most of the teams you were mentioning, um, you know, were the ECAC, Ivy League schools. And, and, you know, to me, growing up around the Ivy League schools, St. Lawrence, Clarkson, um, I've been in, you know, Union, their arena, uh, Harvard's arena, um, Cornell's arena. To me, I, I, I always kind of think that the Barnes are the reason why they're not attracting these players. Um, you know, you compare North Dakota, BU, um, <laughs> all these, uh, you know, NHL style rinks and, um, you know, top players want to go there, right? You kind of agree. Do you think the arena, I know St. Lawrence. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I, I would tell you that. And, and they have 2013, the money too, right? 
they yeah, have the money. 2013, so. Yeah, 2013, the summer, I took my three boys back to Clarkson for the first time since I played. So 90, when I graduated in 93, I had not been back to the school in all that time. It's, you know, it's not the easiest place to get to. I was, I was, I was in Chicago, you know, I got on with my life and I remember walking in the locker room and I was like caught in a time warp. <laughs> so yeah. 20 years later, I'm still walking into the exact same dressing room I left. And now I talked to uh, Casey last weekend and I spoke to, um, God, I have to remember his name. I think he's the equipment manager there now. Um, I can't remember his name, but Mikey LaSalle. he was telling me that uh, he was telling me that the locker room, like, literally, will rival any program in the country. Oh yeah. So, yes. You know, the once he said, out. once it's all said and done with everything finished, he feels that that's going to be a huge draw. And you know, and, and I think at the end of the day, I think there's something to be said. For, you know, most of the ECAC schools, or I shouldn't say most of them, every one of them, education is a priority. And I'm not saying that education is not a priority at Wisconsin or BU or, or, or Duluth or some of these schools, but Ivy League, you know, RPI, Clarkson are top 50 schools, even though they're not Ivies, like, so I think at the end of the day, I think the purpose and the mindset of the player that's going to the ECAC for the most part is that education is a priority for them. Yeah, Not the only thing, but it's a priority. And that's why I think – but when you look at the teams now, Cornell top five, Clarkson top ten, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, Harvard's in the top five. So I think, I think it's just – it kind of depends on the year. Um, I think that's really, but Harvard has done a tremendous job because that's the one where I think families know that if you get a Harvard degree, you're set for life. Sure. You don't need, you don't need the NHL. (laughs) That's like the post hockey of, you know, like look at Jimmy Vesey. He stayed, graduated from Harvard. He could have signed with Nashville, I think at the time, I think he had to wait to become an unrestricted free agent, which he did, but it was important to him to get his education. And I think that's something that I think for a lot, for some of these guys who know they're one and two year players, you know what, maybe the ECC isn't the right fit for them. Sure. So I I think it's really, I think it's dependent on the player. I really do. Like you don't see a large number of commits outside of Harvard who play on NTDP. Yeah, no doubt. Know, like, I can't remember the last time I saw an RPI, a Clarkson, uh, you know, a, a, some of those, you know, a union. Like, it just – Or now. And I'm not saying it's right, but they know, you know, in talking to Casey and in talking to Dave when they were recruiting Zach, like, they know that they're not going to get a 14-, 15-year-old kid to commit to their school. They're just not. Right. So they have to concentrate on that second, you know, I don't want to say second tier because that's not the right word, but that next wave of player and they have to yeah. sift through the early commits who have been committed at 14 and 15 and saying, okay, well, this kid maybe isn't going to be what they thought he's going to be. You know, maybe we wait and we, we jump on him because we feel he's a good player 
but we have to wait for the bigger school to decommit him or the player to decommit. I think there's a, there's a lot of that going on. And, you know, and right now is, you know, it's a season for players to sign their NLIs and there's going to be a bunch of kids who are going to be very disappointed that the school that they chose four years ago is not giving them a letter of intent to sign. And now they're looking elsewhere. And that's where, you know, some of these schools might want to pick. I know the Ivy League schools don't sign NLIs because of the financial aid piece. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting uh, world, the recruiting process. And, I'm, you know, I've gone through it with Zach and, and my youngest is an 04 and he's, you know, starting January 1. He is, he, he's going to be going through the process as well, for sure. So. Yeah. You know, there's, there's kids too that are just a little bit later to develop, you know, and those, you call it, you know, you use the term second tier, but, you know, some of those smaller schools have to, you know, kind of wait for that uh, second wave of player that maybe is a little bit, they see that they see the talent there, but it's going to take a little bit longer for them to develop than some of these kids that are getting um, recruited at 14, 15 years old. But, you know, when you look at it, um, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Maybe it kind of balances out college hockey in a way because, you know, you got those teams like the BUs, BCs, Minnesota Duluth that are pipeline teams to the NHL. Um, so they're losing a bunch of teams. But, you know, the smaller teams like Clarkson and stuff, part of the reason probably why they're able to um, compete at this at a level now and be ranked in the top 10 is because they're able to keep their players to develop a squad to, to get a squad that's gelling together. So um, in a way that probably balances out the league and in the, in the college hockey game uh, in a way in itself. So it absolutely does. It 100 percent does. Like you look at you know, the rate of players leaving, you know, ECAC school. But the one thing that the ECAC schools, you know, or as a league has a tendency to do is it has a tendency to produce more four-year free agents because of the very reason you just mentioned is that these schools aren't losing a first-round player to the pro game, it might, it's going to take these kids, you know, four years, you know, if myself, if I hadn't been drafted as a freshman, I would have signed as a free agent after my senior year, hundred percent, you know? So, and in today's world, I wouldn't have been drafted because I was drafted in the 11th round and now there's only seven. Mm. So, you know, a lot of things have changed. I think there's a lot of I personally think that a lot of teams, when you look at like the makeup of the Bruins and the Rangers and some of these teams, they're so pro college. Yeah. And they, they, they just like the mature 22 year old player who's been in the gym three days a week for four years rather than that 20 year old, you know, immature physical kid that's playing junior hockey that you're not sure what you're getting in two, three years. Yeah, Steve, let me ask you this question. Um, you know, being a Canadian guy back when, when Canadian hockey was pretty much, you know, the it still is the best probably in the world. But as far as, you know, developing the, the players in the United States now with a national development program, and, you know, I know you're involved with developing players too, the Super Series AAA Tier 1 program. Um, do you see uh, a lot more of these U S kids um, making it to the NHL because of these programs and because of the college based um, more of a college based structure going to the NHL. Well, I actually think it's been, I think it's been more of the fact that when you look at certain markets, I truly feel that the success in the United States 
you know, USA Hockey pinpoints, you know, ADM, which, which I'm not saying isn't the case. But I really think that the reason why USA Hockey has developed more players is because NHL players have stayed in the cities and have been helping coach. Like yeah, St. Louis two Lewis, years yeah. ago or three years ago. Like it's yeah. just, you know, and, I, and through my business, we don't necessarily do development with the tournaments, but I deal with tons of former pros who have kids that are now coming up the ranks. And, you know, the common denominator is when those guys have been involved with the team that their son is on, they're developing more players. And I always tell people, like, you know, everybody's chasing the best team. But to me, if you ever have a chance to put your son or daughter on a team with a, with a former NHL player, do it. Win, lose. You know, my hockey rankings, first number one team, 50th ranked team. In the end, the coaching at a young age is why players, in my opinion, I could be completely off, but is the reason why USA Hockey is succeeding is a lot of, you know, Phoenix, a lot of guys are staying around. Michigan's always got a lot of players. Illinois, there's starting to be some guys that are sticking around, and I really, truly feel that that is the reason. St. Louis. Also, the, you know, there's a, St. Louis is a perfect example. I mean, that one year, you know, with Keith Kachuk and, you know, they have Jeff Brown and they have all these first rounders. Yes. It, it's a hundred percent related to the fact that not only were these kids great athletes and great players, but when you're taught how to play the game properly at a young age, it makes a world of difference. And, and I, that's, that's part of the reason, you know, and Canadians have always been, you know, let's say better, you know, in the eyes of, you know, in the in, in international hockey. But when you really look at what's happened, there's been a change of the guard. If you really look at international competition, you know, USA wins, they win world junior championships every couple of years or whatever that's been. And I think that's a, that, that's been, you know, and I think the NTDP has a lot to do with it where you're bringing kids together for two years. And, but I think also even the kids that don't make NTDP, they've got a chance to go and play in the USHL practice with kids two and three years older than them. And I think that's been, that's another big thing that people don't necessarily realize that they're getting quality coaching in a league playing against older players and pretty much in the USHL 99 I think it's 99.5% of those kids are all committed to go play college hockey within one or two years of them playing in there. So it's really, I think that's been a key. I think, I think the CHL, no matter what, no one will convince me that the CHL is not the quickest route to the National Hockey League, but I don't know if it's the best. Yeah. Steve, first of all, uh, uh, I'll switch gears a little bit, but you know you're Canadian or from upstate New York when uh... – you introduce your kid as the uh, his birth year. Um, he's like, yeah, my, my other kid's an 04. He's a good kid. Uh, but, um, what's uh, what's some of your uh, memories of Potsdam? Uh, changing the subject real quick here. Uh, That's okay. Uh, what do you? What do you, um, you know, uh, I mean, I would say you know just Sergi's, you know my path. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Sergi's. I mean, we talked about that last week. That I uh, the RPI plays Clarkson that first weekend in January. And unfortunately I can't, 
I can't make it this year, but I'm, you know, I definitely told Zach that he's, he's got to find a way to get a Sergi's pizza roll, yeah. <laughs> you know, dipping in a lot of ranch dressing, get some wings. Yeah. Um, I mean, just overall, I think, I, I think looking back, um, you know, just for me, you know, I, my, my journey there wasn't your typical path. You know, I walked on there and ended up making the team ended up getting drafted in the next summer by the Blackhawks and kind of really developed as a 19, you know, the 23 year old to, to be able to play in the national hockey league. So, so, you know, one of the things that, that really is instrumental or was instrumental in my development was the fact that I went to a school and chose a school where I was, where I was going to play. And, you know, Mark Morris at the time gave me the opportunity and obviously I wasn't handed it. I earned it, but I had to, I had to fight and claw every day to stay in the lineup the first year and then earn my right. So I, I think it's one of those things that I think that, that the, the best thing that I took out of Clarkson, you know, obviously the education was, was important. The stress on school, I, I was a very good student, so I didn't really have to, you know, really, you know, it wasn't a grind for me to, uh, you know, be in class and, and have the hockey side, but, like to Stay me, that was, that was the biggest thing was it was just, it was just the accountability that you get taught. I think there's a lot of hockey is the best sport for teaching accountability and life lessons. And those are really the things that, you know, the school was great. The city was, you know, small and, you know, everybody knew everybody. And so I think that was, a, you know, it was a great feel sold out every, every game pretty much, except when the kids, you know, maybe when the kids were on break, but you know, it was a great atmosphere for, and also we won. So, yeah. you know, anytime you have color. success, it makes it makes for a great four years, and we had you a lot of great players. I mean, yeah, I played with uh, Todd Marchant, Craig Conroy, um, you know, some of Clarkson's greats, Stephen Brian Steven Mueller, uh, yeah, you know, Scotty Thomas, Marco Tuomainen. I mean, we had a, you know, we had we had we had some very very good players. Now, when you went to Chicago, did you play with Jr.? Yes, you did. Yeah, oh. yeah back in uh, ninety. So my first year was ninety three, ninety four. You know, we had a very good team. Jr. Chris Chelios, Ed Belfour, Tony Amonti yeah. got traded there. I mean, we we had a lot of really high end players. How was playing with all those guys? And talk about Jr. a little bit. You know, I just heard some of his pranks and uh, spitting chicklets. Had some. Uh, he was on there and they were talking about uh, some of his uh, gambling debts. And uh, they actually <laughs> talked about that um, not debts but gambling uh, habits. And, um, yeah, I saw the about... one the other day when he was on the, when we did Michael Jordan and when he was on the golf course and oh yeah, now Jr. was, uh, the one thing we knew about Jr. was that he was going to be on television. Everybody <laughs> yeah, right. said the same thing. Like as soon as he was done playing that he, he was destined to be, you know, a broadcaster or, you know, he's done a great job. He's got a great personality. Uh, he knows the game, you know, he's very, um, I guess flamboyant is the word, I guess. I'm not sure if that's the right word for him, but it might be. But I mean, like, you know, I remember in the all-star games, he'd always be the guy that would, you know, want the microphone. So he, you know, he was, a. but in the end, you know, people, I think, view him, you know, maybe as a little bit of a, like an ego, but in the end, like he's a guy that literally, he knew everybody's kids' names, like he was that type of teammate. Like he really, really cared about his teammates. And when I first came in, 
you know, he was, he was, he were, I think he's a year younger than me, maybe, or maybe the same age, but he had been in the league already, you know, three, four years. So it was really good to have, you know, veteran guys, but guys the same age as me to, to hang out with. And, and we, we had, you know, I had a lot of fun, you know, especially coming from college where I'd play four years. It was totally different, you know, going into the pro environment where, you know, you're, you know, it's, you know, you're, you, you got to show up every day, you got especially as a, you know, as a, as an 11th rounder who was a fourth line player, you know, it was really, you know, I had to earn every minute of ice time. So, but it, you know, it was, I think it was just part of my makeup as a player. And, and I, even, even when I was in the league for four or five years, I still, every day, I never took anything for granted. So what was, uh, what was your favorite city that you played in? You were in uh, Chicago, Calgary, St. Louis, Nashville. Where did you enjoy your time the most? In um, you know what, actually, I, I actually think Chicago is where I make my home. So I came back here, but just looking at it from, you know, the overall perspective, I think Nashville at the time, I think there was a few things that, that kind of came into play was I was given an opportunity to play in the top six role. And I, you know, during my career, I have no complaints. I would never tell anybody that I, that anybody made a mistake in where they placed me. But in the end, when I played in Nashville, I played in 26 games potentially. And I think I had seven goals over that course of time. So in other words, I think it was, you know, the NHL at the time, especially when there was really a delegation between top six and bottom six. And, you know, and in Chicago, I'd play with Ryan Vandenbush, Jim Cummins, Bob Probert. I mean, the list goes on and on of tough guys. And they're my friends still. But in the end, the skill sets of the players back then was significantly different. And yeah. so in Chicago, where I was getting, you know, my my kids laugh at me sometimes when I tell them that, you know, there was games because they charted the games that I played like a minute and 22 seconds. <laughs> and they're like, Dad, how do you play for a minute and 22 seconds? And I'm like, well, because at the time, there really was a discrepancy between your top players. And now, if you look at the best teams in the league, you know, like they were talking the other day about Austin Matthews, like he gets 17 minutes a game and they're wondering why he's not playing 22 minutes a game. As an example, whereas Patrick Kane gets... 22 minutes a game consistently. And he's obviously he's one of the best players in the world, but you know, getting back to Nashville, I, I knew I was going over the boards every third shift pretty much. And it was a totally different mentality for me, you know, instead of sitting there for 14 minutes and then getting a tap on the shoulder saying you're up and then going out and having a 30 second shift where your legs feel like they're led. It was just great to know that you were, that I was, you know, going to be relied on to be a contributor and in St. Louis I got the same thing like you know before I got injured I was averaging about 14 minutes a game with Joel Quinville we had Doug Waite, Keith Kachuk, Pavel Dimitra I mean you, we had an unbelievable team but my role was third fourth line center first PK unit and I was getting that type of minutes and Joel Quinville who has a track record of utilizing his you know his let's say his um his third fourth line guys in more of an active role it was a perfect fit for me you know before i got injured 
I was I was I was a key component to the success of the Blues at the time. So it's just you know it, it's a confidence thing, and I think today today's player, you know, a lot of them like you know fourth line players are getting eight to ten minutes a game. It's totally different, and and, and they deserve that because there is no more tough guys who only have one role. Like there's, there's, I, I can name on one hand the, the guys in the league right now who are considered, yeah. you know, tough players. Ryan Reeves, Milan Lucic, Wilson. Uh, Tom Wilson. I mean, who else after that? I'd have a tough time finding another, any other players who are legitimately can play and, you know, you know, Mark Stone a little bit. I know he doesn't fight, but he, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to find those guys. So those guys, you know, Zach Cassian, I was watching that. I'm like, this kid has turned himself into a top six forward five years ago. He was a fourth line player. And he's playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Like, yeah. <laughs> but they're not just giving him that. What do you think about he's the fighting in the NHL, right? so, Steve? Do you think that's going to be going away or what do you do you, do you are you glad uh, well, that it's think, going away? I think it's policed policed itself. I mean, I wasn't a fighter per se, but I was a very physical player, and I think that's something that, if you really look at the way the game is now, I think you need any it. hit. Yeah, I think I think you need it. But if you look at the game, any hit that's even a clean hit, someone's challenging someone to fight. So if you look back at, you know, let's say mid nineties when hitting was at more of a, you know, it was used more. The fighters really only fought the fighters. Yeah. Now it's more so where it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily exist because the teams have so few, you know, let's say guys who want to engage physically, you know, like it's a, it's, the, the young kids, because I'm coaching at the young age levels, like they're not even prepared to be hit anymore. And I think that's part of the problem is like when you see some of these hits in the NHL, like I was watching a clip where like someone was pointing out that in, and, and I, I used to sometimes here in Chicago, they'll play like old, um, old like games of like, the 1994 playoffs between the Blackhawks and the Maple Leafs that I was in. Sack them. And like literally every shift, there was five penalties (laughs) in today's game. Yeah. Yeah. Hooking, slashing, interference. So I think that, and the game has gone, and I actually, I love the speed and the skill sets of the players today. So, I don't think fighting is, you know, obsolete, but I still think that it's, you know, I think the league, you know, concussions and all that, I think, you know, the players are making so much money that I think, I mean, look at football, football, you know, you can't even touch the quarterback anymore without getting a a 15 yard penalty. So I I think it's just in general that I think that, you know, the the concussions and the money these guys are paying and, you know, let's just say Sidney Crosby, when he was injured and he would go into a visiting city, if they don't have those guys playing, what does the league have? 
Yeah. 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 I think that's the mindset of the league. And, you know, I, I don't I still think you have to be tough to play, though. I still, no matter what, you, I watch, I'm watching the, the Washington Flyers game, and these kids, you know, and I can call them kids, and they're just monsters, physical players using their sticks. You know, it, it's, it's amazing the skill sets of these players these days and, and the size of these players and the ability to do what they can do is it, it, it really, it, you know, and I see it with 14 and 15 year old kids that are six, one, six, two, that can make moves and skills that are, you know, that are the, the same as like a five foot seven player was, but couldn't, that player couldn't make the national hockey league in, yeah, in the, in the eighties and nineties because, you know, he didn't fit the, the stereotype. Yeah. I think, I think the skill level is at like an all time high for sure in the NHL, but the, you know, the NHL I was watching the Rangers game last night and I saw a couple of penalties called for, for hooking and stuff. And I was just shaking my head. I was like, I mean, can you, can you lift the guy's stick off the ice anymore without being called hooking? I mean, it's, it's, it, I think it's gone a little extreme in, in my personal opinion, but um, I, I get what you're saying because it is, you know, it's a, it's a money business now and there's a lot of high paid players. So, um, and they want that game to be fast as hell. So um, I, I just, from playing, you know, we played in the nineties, late nineties and stuff like that. So it's just, it's, it's tough to look at it and say, and t- kind of justify in your head that that's actually like a hooking call or a slashing call. I know. I mean, ridiculous. That, and and I, I agree with you, Derek. We, like, uh, like you said, we were, we played in the nineties where you could water ski through the neutral zone. You could put your stick around a guy <laughs> and just dig in. You could, you know, I would literally go out there and try to, you know, hit a guy's wrist as hard as I could. Sometimes I wanted to try to hurt him and you could get away with that. <laughs> and to me, I, 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 I think the current NHL to me is what I call shinny hockey. When you'd go out, you know, um, and pay two bucks to go to the local barn and you put on your helmet, your gloves and skates, no contact. And it was just, you know, making moves. And the, and, the kids, and the kids that were scared of getting hit, shined and then when you put put them back on the team where they was hitting they didn't do a goddamn thing so um i don't know that's how i kind of compare it yeah no i mean i think it is but i think that i agree with that i think the some of the some of the hooks that they're calling you know to me if you want to call a hook you know that's that's stopping an offensive play i'm 100 percent on board but for you to call a hook in the defensive zone or something like that, or, or in the offensive zone where an offensive team is like, those are the things that I think have gotten a little bit, um, yeah, yeah. you know, out of hand, but at the end of the day, the superstars need to be on the power play to generate offense. And that's been the biggest change in my opinion has been the amount of power plays that the teams are getting. And it allows the highly skilled players to be on the ice more to demonstrate their skill sets. And that to me is where the, you know, television, I know there, you know, there's talk of, you know, the ESPN coming back and, you know, who knows how many, you know, the deal might be in the billions yeah. for the and NHL move. So, they need that so who do you, you know, where, what, what are they going to do? Are they going to allow the hooking and the holding or do they want the game to be free flowing where Patrick Kane and Austin Matthews and, you know, the list goes on and on of these guys who are superstars can be on the ice more 
so that the fans can see in them demonstrate their skill sets. And I think that's the biggest change overall is that, you know, in the 90s, you know, you had top six, then you had bottom six. There were some skill guys that were in Indy or, you know, Milwaukee or Norfolk or wherever the minor league team was at the time that now would probably be in the NHL because you eliminated the the fighter and, and all those guys that would take up spots because of the intimidation factor. Like when I remember I got traded from the Blackhawks to Calgary in 1998 and like literally the Hawks lineup on a nightly basis had eight fighters. <laughs> they did. I mean, I could name them. Like it was crazy. Cam Russell, Bob Probert, Mark Jansen, Dennis Bondi, Brian Vandenbush. I mean, the list went on and on. And, but you know, at the time, that was the type of team that they wanted, you know, kind of like a, you know, a Broad Street Bullies type mentality. And that wasn't me. And, you know, and I got traded and I had a good situation in Calgary. But, you know, the thing, the game has changed. The kids, the opportunities that even my own boys are provided in the summertime with skills coaches and off-ice trainers. And it's, it's, it's really, really, really like they're very fortunate. And you know, I tell people that if anybody would have said to me when I was in the NHL that if I worked on my skills in the summertime that I would get better, I would have looked at them like, what are you talking about? I'm in the NHL. <laughs> but I've proven, even myself, when I retired, I opened up an off-ice training facility here in Chicago, and I was constantly stick-handling with the kids, and, and literally my hands got significantly better in a short period of time. And it really showed me how valuable skill development is. And, and I see it in my own boys, how, how over the course of a summertime they can develop and they're working with guys, you know, working on transferable skills and they're working on their shot and they're working on stick handling. And, and like the game has changed so much that on a year-to-year basis, like you just never know what the game is going to be, you know, what it's going to give you. And I think that's an important thing for for parents. You know, I'm in the tournament business, but I strongly believe in development and you can't play 80 games a year and expect your kid to, to develop when they're touching the puck for like 30 seconds a game. Whereas they can develop touching a puck for an hour in a skill development environment. Uh, you know, my, my youngest, he's very fortunate uh, he skates with the Chicago Steel in the USHL every day, and they have such a major focus on skill development that they're developing even players that get traded from their team are first-line players on other teams in the USHL. And I think that other teams are going to start to take notice of, you know, like, wow, like winning's important, but our job as coaches – is to develop players for the next step. You know, it's like even my, even the, the, the midget team that I coach, I constantly harp to the kids that when you move on from the, the head coach's name is Ryan, from Ryan and I, we want these guys in the junior level and college to say to you, you know what, whoever coached you really knew what they were talking about. Because that's the biggest kudos for any coach. It's not what you do for them when you have them, but what you what you do when they move on from you. 
We're going to tell that to the AUs in northern New York. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, it's it's everywhere. Believe me, it's it's everywhere. Nobody really, in my opinion, you know, USA Hockey, like I said, they, they preach development. I'm not saying they haven't developed players, but literally I think it's really up to the individual programs and the coaches to really, really understand how important it is to, to, to stress skill development. Because in the end, I say this all the time, that hockey is, is the consummate team sport. But when, yeah. when coaches go and watch kids to recruit them, they're not coming to watch the team. They're coming to watch individual players. So when you look at the overall the, – the, the family's mindset needs to be – okay, I want him to be on a very good team, but I also need him to develop and not be a spare part on the best team in the country. Yeah, well said. Hey, Steve, before we let you go, uh, just tell us a little bit about the the Super Series AAA team tournaments that you do, maybe like a website for people to find, uh, just some information. We can plug that a little bit for you before we let you go. Yeah, so uh, this is our seventh year. Uh, of running these tournaments. The website's uh, superseriesaaa.com. We run, our largest tournament is in Boston at the beginning of the season. We had about 300 teams there this year. So that's kind of our our flagship event. We run tournaments in Toronto where we have like a Canada versus US. We do an event in South Bend, Indiana at the University of Notre Dame. And, you know, we've kind of, we have one in Florida this year. We have two in Vegas. So we've kind of, our, our footprint in the winter time is is spread out in the spring we have a tournament called top tier toronto which draws about 125 teams and then uh, we created a series of events called the triple crown which is uh we have events in nashville chicago and montreal and then our kind of our biggest spring event is called the continental clash which is a canada versus u.s tournament that's in Boston, June 23rd to June 28th this coming year. So, you know, we, you know, as crazy as it sounds, we, we start September, the second weekend of September, and we run all the way to the last weekend of June. So, you know, it's kind of hypocritical of me to, to sit here and preach development when I run tournaments <laughs> all year. But I, but I do feel that the level of competition that we provide, you know, is a developmental piece to the success of young players because the list of like every year, the list of OHL, USHL, and even NHL draft picks who have played in our tournaments uh, or on our tournament teams that we run in the spring is usually close to 20 to 30 kids. So, uh, you know, Wayne Primo, who's a former first rounder, is a partner of mine. His brother, Keith, who was another first rounder, uh, was a partner. He decided that he's, you know, he's, he's, he didn't want to be involved in the business anymore, but he helped build this thing. Um, and our, our, our other partners, a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Dallow, who was very instrumental in the growth of our company. He's had some boys that went through the New Jersey Devils organization. So, you know, it's been a fun ride for us. And I think, you know, the best thing has been the fact that I've been able to continue my relationships with former players who are coaching teams, Marty St. Louis, Chris Draper, Milan Hayduke, Curtis Brown. I mean, the list goes on and on of guys that I've, you know, I didn't know them as players, played against them, but I've become close friends with them through 
the fact that I've built these tournaments and their team and their kids have come to my tournament. So, you know, I, the one thing that every player will tell you is when you retire, you know, the money's one thing, it's great, but the camaraderie and the, and being part of a team, I would say is the number one thing that players would say is what they miss, you know, cause the guys nowadays are making so much money that, you know, none of them really have to work when they're done. So yeah. I think the biggest thing, you know, you know I, was, I was listening to, uh, maybe it was NHL Network the other day on the radio and they were, you know, a couple of players were saying that, you know, a lot of them want to stay in the game just because they want to be, feel part of a team without being, oh, I was listening to, um, uh, who was it? It was uh, someone doing radio. Oh, it was Joe, Joe Vitale. I was listening to Spitting Chicklets actually and he was talking about how he's doing the radio and even though he's not on the team, He's part of the team and, and he, you know, he missed that for X number of years. And I think that's the, I tell everybody that, you know, that's my biggest thing. I wanted to be part of a company where I, I was able to build something, but also have coworkers and teammates that I trusted the same way that I did with the guys that next, sit next to me in the locker room. Yeah. Yeah. That's great that um, you're, you're doing this, this with the, uh, these young kids and helping them develop because, you know, tournaments like this give them a chance to play against some, probably some of the best competition in the country. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it's good when people give back and, and, you know, do things like this and, you know, stay in the game. And, you know, we're doing a podcast, you know, those four guys like to talk hockey, right? So this is kind of our way of staying in, in, in the hockey game ourselves and being part of it and talking to guys like you and, you know, just talking hockey. So, you know, we really appreciate you coming on the Blue Hockey Club tonight and, you know, taking some time to, you know, talk about hockey and developing players and all that good stuff. And, you know, we wish you the best of luck with your tournaments and uh, we'll, we'll be looking up here in the future. All right. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, having me on. Yeah, thanks, we Steve. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Good luck. Okay, guys. Thank you. Yep. All right. Take care. Hey, this is Derek D-Train. He too. Tonight's episode is brought to you by... Brandedbills.com, one of the leaders in today's hat industry. If you want something unique, you'll find it there. We love the concept of their leather patches cut out of the finest leather with your logo branded right on the leather. Feeling patriotic? Check out their USA logos or shop by state, offering logos from all 50 states for your custom headwear. Lots of options to choose from, so check out their stock inventory or create your own lid. BrandedBills.com is the sponsor for our hats here at Blue Line Hockey Club, and we are excited to have some of the best hats around. Choose between fitted hats, snapbacks, flat bills, curved bills, trucker hats, you name it, with all kinds of color combos to help customize your branded bill. Get online and place your order today at BrandedBills.com. All right, boys, uh, Brandon Bill's interview with Steve Dubinsky. Uh, you know, we didn't really know what direction this interview was going to go, uh, but, you know, kind of got into a lot of the development of these college players and, um, you know, what it's like for these kids, you know, obviously him having kids coming from um, recruiting and stuff like that now in, in the college area, his experience um, back in the early 90s going to college and how it's changed. So kind of a good perspective, you know, thought maybe we'd be talking more about his NHL career. Uh, but we actually got into a pretty good conversation about college hockey. Uh, it's funny how things can turn and twist when we get into these interviews, but uh, you know, great perspective on, on college hockey tonight. Well, I think we just got into it because he played in our hometown at Clarkson University. Um, and then uh, it just sounds like he has a passion for hockey, like wealth of knowledge, 
um, really would sit down and banter. I mean, we probably could have had him on for another hour tonight. And uh, <laughs> he just likes to talk hockey. So um, that's what he does for a living now. He puts on hockey tournaments. Um, that's pretty sweet. So, um, yeah. yeah. And not just any hockey tournaments. He's talking about 300 teams, you know, 150 teams. I mean, these are some serious hockey tournaments with serious teams coming to play. Um, you know, so great organization for him. I'm sure it took time like any business to develop, but now it seems like he's got a pretty good thing going. And, you know, maybe when our kids are a little older, we'll be calling Steve up. A lot of things over that interview. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I liked, or at least I, I appreciated obviously was, uh, you know, the part about USA doing it right. And, the fact that they're switching to the um, well, we're taking over. That's one part, but the the ADM. ADM. You know, I, I do think that that's working. What if I if I were to say, you know, I took a jab at the AUs, you know, jokingly, but you know, if I were to say they're doing anything right, the the, the short game, the small game is is on the money. Um, the half ice, you know, you're you're playing in shorter quarters everything is so much faster when you get out onto the ice, it almost slows the game down because you're used to playing at such a quick and uh, shorter, you know, uh, having somebody on you way faster. When you get to a big ice surface, you can practice those skills, um, you know, for many, many years. I mean, we, we were old. Think about some of from, our back to basics stuff. Yeah. We, we skated circles and stuff. But that was how we got back into hockey. Karaoke. Karaoke. <laughs> like these kids, these kids are on a different yeah, level. Just imagine that, you know, this whole, you know, I can go both ways, full ice, half ice, whatever. But, you know, with you talking and me just thinking about it, Rob, I mean, you know, when they play half ice or, you know, the three rinks, their window shorter and then you take that away from them as they mature a little bit on a full ice and that window goes from you know maybe they had three seconds that they had to get rid of it now they got 15 right so now they can kind of see that right. ice the, a bit more. The decision, slow down. The, their decision making's already made you just need to slow down and make sure they hit the window yeah you know, supposed to uh, you look at yeah, look, look at when you look at the league now i mean look at the nhl the highest level of hockey that you can play. I mean, if you look at every division and every team across the spectrum, I mean, these, these teams have guys that are just fucking nasty. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't recall. I mean, I know like it's different eras of hockey and stuff, but I have never, I can't recall seeing so many skilled players ever. I mean, you watch, I mean, just watch the highlights in the morning of all these, of all these games that are being played and, the goals that they're scoring, the, the, the you know, between the legs, popping pop one. I still can't in, do in, You know, in real time. I mean, the lacrosse-style goalie now, lacrosse-style goal. Yeah, right? I mean. How many, how many times do you see people even trying that? When, no. when we played, it was vanilla. You know, yeah. it was straight up and down, wooden sticks. I mean, we were just coming out of wooden sticks to uh, the metals, to the the composites. I mean, frank, frankly, frankly, if we, you know, back in our day, though, if a defenseman would have seen some kid trying to do that with a stick, he would have dove over the crossbar and cross-checked him in the net. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's it's different, but it's uh, the skill level is is freaking insane right now. I just, 
I sit there some mornings, you know, I wake up early because I have little kids and shit, but I, I'm looking at, you know, NHL on the fly or something like that. And I, I'm seeing some of these goals getting scored and I'm just sitting there with like with my mouth open, like, you know, how does it, you know, what kind of, where the fuck did they develop these skills? You know, like did their I've, parents lock them in a garage and say, you can't come out until you can like do basically yeah. jujitsu on ice or something, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Have you ever tried to shoot a puck between your legs? No, like, uh, probably fall over. Tough. Like you would have to do it a lot to get good at that. Well, I mean, good at it. from lacrosse, you know, I don't think it's too crazy. Shooting between your legs, over your back. I mean, it's not that no, well. No, like Kachuk's goal the other night where he put that was it. an amazing goal. But I'm just saying it's it's not as it's not as foreign to me because I'm used to. Uh, I guess doing a little bit outside of the box. I guess. I mean, for these, be honest, you would have torn two ACLs trying to do that shot. (laughs) In a groin. Um, I'm pretty sure I can hit the top corner with between my legs. Oh, Oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, I, I do, I do. Uh, you know, when I went on to play (laughs) the sport that I played, you know, shooting behind the back stuff like that became more common and easy to do. Um, if these guys are doing this, doing this, if they're doing it um, on the regular and practice and stuff, it comes more as muscle memory than than trying to do it. But the, the one thing I wanted to touch on was the ADM uh, real quick, because, you know, the, the U.S. hockey tries to take credit for, you know, 177 American players starting in the NHL this year. Um, you know, they are trying to take credit for this, you know, overwhelmingly. Uh, high number of U.S. players in the league. But if you take Steve's perspective, he says, you know, well, look at all these NHL guys that are coaching their kids now and developing these players, right? So there's a couple sides. Is it the people, the coaches that are developing these kids now that have more skills, have more knowledge, uh, you know, or is it just a development model that they're using? It's fair. It's not binary, though. It's not one or the other, right? You have a whole lot of thing. Hockey isn't just one thing. It's not just yeah. But there's a reason that those guys in St. Louis that were all on the same team coached by those ex NHL guys are, you know, some of the top players in the league at a young age. Look at you know, us I, growing up. We had some of the top uh players in St. Lawrence Canton, I should say, um, coaching us and we won state championships. Yeah, well, if you think about it, the the people that coached us as well were, you know, they, they played at some level, Division One, which was the closest thing to a pro you were going to get around us. We were lucky, just like he said, to have people stick around and care enough to coach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, none of these guys are getting paid, right? Like, you right. know, none of these coaches are, are getting no, paid to develop these players. To all the other parents is is not worth it sometimes. I'll just be exactly. honest with you. It's not yeah. worth it. Yeah. So. Especially especially at U8, right? You're coaching U8 and the players are saying, well, why is my kid not playing more? Well, basically just going through the bench here and putting them out, you know? Right. So, right. It's pretty tough. Maybe over. I'm just running them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe I missed your kid. He was getting a drink or something. I don't know. I don't I'm know. just he trying to get him on the kid. I don't fucking know. I'm just trying to keep him from frigging, you know, paying attention on, on the box. But, you know, it, these coaches don't get enough credit. They're they're donating or however you want to say it, their time to develop your kid. Um, they don't have to do that. They're taking the time out of their life away from their families if their kids are on the team to, to do this. And, um, you know, sometimes that's missed. I mean, 
my wife coaches figure skating and she gets paid. You know, I think it's the only sport where they pay coaches. So, you know, in these these uh, minor fo- football, soccer, hockey, across the board, none of these people get paid, right? So, you know, you, you know they're they're sacrificing time, and in today's day and age with the rat race, it's you know you don't have a lot of time to do that. So, you know, kudos to these guys that are developing uh, some of these hockey players in the United States, and you know, and even Steve, he's making money, I'm sure, with these tournaments, but and I'm sure it's a ton of work to put together that many tournaments in a year. And he's working from September to, I think he said July. So pretty much almost all year round. Uh, with that said, guys, I think we can probably switch gears a little bit. We've uh, talked a lot of college hockey. Let's get back into what we talk about the most, the NHL this week. Um, a lot of things going on, a lot of good games. Uh, I, I ended up catching a, a number of different games this week. Um, you know, I think one of the games that really caught my eye was that Florida Panthers game the, uh, the other night um, you know, where they beat the Bruins. They were down by four goals going into the starting the third period. It was 4 nothing Bruins, and the Cats came back and friggin' won the game 5-4. So, I mean, it just goes to show one of the best teams in the league right now with the Boston Bruins. Uh, we talked about the Panthers last week. I think that team has, you know, they had they pulled their goalie after the uh, second period, put in their backup goalie. He played well. I mean, it was just action-packed, back and forth, chances left and right. I mean, it wasn't like the Bruins weren't getting chances. I mean, it was back and forth the whole game. And I think, Pat, we, I think that's the game you were referring to with yeah. uh, watching, you know, the perfection line a little bit. Uh, it's just amazing to Should watch. Should we name the line? Have they been named yet? Let's name them so maybe we can take. Well, that. last the last playoffs, I think it might have even been Don Cherry, Hockey Night in Canada, that named them the Perfection Line. So that's why perfection I was referring line. to okay. that. But I don't think people are really calling them that anymore. That was just last year during the playoffs. Oh, I didn't and, hear that. Maybe that's a good one look, to keep it safe. This line was unreal, and I watch you know a lot of hockey games. Unfortunately, I watch Minnesota Wild. Um, <laughs> never gonna get that time back. Never gonna get it back. Uh, yeah, up to about 1:30 last night watching that one. But to watch the uh, Boston Bruins top line and even all four lines, the fourth line was with Coyle and um, a couple of those other boys. Uh, I don't even know. Um, they were on fire. I mean, the first, the the perfection line and the fourth line were just non-stop firing the puck and it was like mark said up and down up and down and i was just really on the edge of my seat watching this game compared to uh you know falling asleep and choking on the popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah one of the guys that i noticed uh that we haven't really talked about was trocheck um you know phenomenal player for for the panthers and you know he he was showing it last night he actually um hit pasternak pretty I mean, he just kind of gave him a, a shoulder to the face and, and knocked him down pretty good. Marchant actually came over to fight him. That was kind of funny to see. I did see that. What did you think about that elbow? I don't yeah, know. I mean, what they were saying is like he was kind of trying to change the momentum of the game, which it, it, it did. Um, you know, obviously they were down 4-0. I think at that point it was 4-1 to or 4-2. to But um, Marchant went in the box, um, you know. It was kind of funny to see Marsh- Marchant try to fight. His hair was all over the place. It's like five fucking nine. He went right after his, like, uh, tackled his hips, pelvis. (laughs) (laughs) 
it, you know, it wasn't like uh, Ryan Reeves grabbing on to somebody, you know, for sure. So that was, you know, but it was good to see, you know, it was Ryan good to Reeves see some it. passion, you know, from an elite player going. I mean, we saw a Crosby fight this year. Um, we're seeing some of these uh, these guys fight. Um, you know, Dumba got in a fight, his first fight since he tore his pec last year, this week. Um, just some some guys that you're not used to seeing fight or dropping the gloves. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of that, uh, go ahead, you too. No, I was just going to say, before you left the Panthers and uh, the, the Boston game, I mean, you can't can't talk about the Panthers either, too, without talking about Alexander Barkov a little bit, too. I mean, that guy's been been really, really, really good, but um, the storyline, though, that I think we wanted to talk about was that first line of the of the Bruins, and I yeah. mean, you can put them up against any line in history. In history, really, I think at this point, I mean, they're just they're crazy. I mean, we talked a little bit about some of the other lines, uh, you know, dating back years now. You know, we talk about uh, Yamir Yager with Lemieux and Kevin Stevens. Um, you can talk about you know the Oilers mm-hmm. when they had you know, yeah. You can talk about Legion of Doom with Lindros. You can talk about the Edmonton Oilers with, you know, Gretzky and Messier and Yari Curry. I mean, these yeah. you're putting these these guys are getting in rare air right now. I mean, French connection in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, it, you watch these guys though, and it's it's a different style of hockey in a way. I mean, um, you know, people are these guys are producing every single one of them is producing, you know, a massive amount of points, and it's just usually, you know, you got, you know, one of the wingers or something like that. That's, you know, primarily just putting up assists or something like that. But these guys are every single one of them is, is putting up goals and assists. I mean, so it's when just you put that, when that lines on the ice, there is, I don't even know what it is. There's probably a stat out there. There's probably like a 36, 37% chance you're going to score. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the puck but movement. The- their puck movement is insane. I mean, the way that that puck is, I mean, the way that they're distributing the puck amongst each other, you just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just amazing to watch. It's fun to watch. Um, but you know, their puck movement is just insane. Yeah. The yeah. Skyline, they had the skyline back in the day. That's kind of more our air, Mario Lemieux, Yager, and, um, Kevin Stevens. I think, uh, did you mention that one? Yeah. 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 The skyline. No, when you when you watch a team like the Bruins on the power play, um, you know they're just clicking, right? So, I mean, like Pat mentioned, watching Minnesota, watch two power plays where they didn't even get they didn't even get set up for a shot, not let alone a shot on net. They didn't even get an attempt to shoot the puck because they never even got it set up. And like when they have a power play, you never know who it's going to be. It's like they just put their first line out or they put their second line out with a pair of defense, um, yeah. you know, where a lot of the teams now, we talked about it before, they have four forwards on for a power play, and it's like their power play unit, and that's the unit every fucking time. You know, it's not different every game. You know, so, but you go back to the Bruins, you know, when I watched the, uh, the Sabres power play was on point. Um, Avalanche, the Bruins, um, even the, the uh, Panthers had two goals on their power play in the third period yeah. last um, on that last game. So when you talk this to uh, Steve talking about these power plays, well, these penalties are so often now, the power play has become a, a crucial part of, of the NHL game because the amount of penalties, right? So if that power play unit's not clicking and you don't have that, you know, firepower, and you don't have that, that mesh of a power play unit, you're not going to win many games. 
Well, and, and on top of that, we've said this many times. I think it was Pat that said it, you know, the first, first time. If you're, you're you're scoring the most points on your team if you're on the power play. When you're getting yeah. that kind of burn right now, you're putting up the points. You're the one leading the team. So I mean, you, you can't you can't be leading your team or the league or your you know conference or whatever unless you're on the power play. Right. So I mean, well, if you're if you're that hot in regular uh, play, you're going to be pretty tough. Pretty tough to do. No, I, I'm yeah. saying you're probably going to be on the power play anyways. Yeah. Right. If you're, well, if I mean, you're that out of a hand and you're your touch, yeah, you're scoring right. goals. You're going to be bumped to a power play. Anyway. That's usually why I was up on the point slapper. Yes. That's, that's why I'd like to hear the stat on, um, you know, power play goals and correlate that with where they're ranked in the standings. Um, I think last see. year Kucherov, uh, wasn't he up there for a while? Had like 130 or some points. Um, I think 12 even strength goals and then like the, the rest, rest were on, on power play. Play. something crazy like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And then you also, you know, you got the overtimes of three on three now. Um, it's almost like, you know, we were watching the Bruins game that went into a shootout and Derek was watching the Rangers game and I flipped over to that, you know, that didn't go into a shootout, but almost went to shootout and we had Capo scored the uh, game winner with Fox uh, assisting on that. But, <laughs> You know, it is, there's a lot more goals generated yeah. from your yes. – you, you got – say you got Connor McDavid, Dreisaitl, and, you know, pick a third for your, you know, three, saw, three on three. I saw know? a crazy stat. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Mark. I saw a crazy stat that McDavid and um, Dreisaitl out in Edmonton, 67 combined points. And then you take the Buffalo Sabres, who has, you know, their top, I think it was like there was six guys. They named six guys. Anyways, they had 67 points combined between like six guys compared to two in Edmonton. Yeah. And, uh, they just got, they kind of talked about how, you know, like Rob's been saying this actually. I think he said it all last year too. You can't have two people pulling the whole team to, you know, in, expect to win. So, you know, 67 points over six guys, their top three lines, nine guys. Yeah. Well, if you put the wild in there, you probably take 60 some points for the whole team. For the yeah. season. <laughs> you know, so that's just, you can't win games 2 1, you know, 1 nothing. It's just not the NHL of yep. today. I, I personally think that Minnesota's in a funk right now, and it's, it's coming from the leadership down, I, I believe. And I don't mean like the, the new leadership. I know we've been right and goosey. Billy boy? Billy G? No, oh, I, they're new. They're new. It can't be that. Can't he's be that. weird to even listen to him in his interviews. I don't understand him. He's just so, like, Billy he's. Uh, Bruce. 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 Boudreaux is just, if you listen to his interviews, it's like he's like nervous about everything. He's just waiting to get fired. I mean, it's he's any day. chewing on that little piece of bacon stuck in his teeth. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what about the What about the Anaheim Ducks? I think I saw something about, I think they're on a tear right now. Somebody wants to to look that up, Pete. Just, uh, I saw um, seven games, something like that. Fire. I, I wanted to bring out the big news. The biggest news, I think, personally, is Mitch Marner's out. Huge for yeah. Toronto. I don't yeah, know if anyone saw too. that. 
Yeah. Yeah. For a while. Four to five weeks. But uh, did you guys see what he did? Yeah. And did you see him look back at? Yeah. Did you see him look back in his comments? He was like, "I looked back when I fell." He goes, "I thought for sure my ankle was going to be pointing the other direction." But he said it wasn't, and I was able to stand up. It was his ankle or his knee? He, he got ankle. his knee caught on ankle. a stick. High ankle sprain. He's out four oh. to five weeks. It he got tripped yeah. up in a guy's stick and fell over backwards. And, you know, it's, you know, when I saw that, it was exactly what I did to my ankle. Fucking fell one way and my ankle went the other way and it snapped. Yeah. And, and it did happen. I looked kind of looked down and I saw it pointing one way and my light knee was going the other way and that's when I yelled like a little baby but there's some big injuries so far this year I mean you got Sidney Crosby out like you said Marner I mean how, what a kick in the nuts for the Leafs you know they just signed this guy for mega bucks and like fuck gonna Four have goals, to... 14 assists 18 points this year um, yeah that sucks for them you know yeah I mean it's High ankle sprain. They'll pretty re. They'll, he'll be rehabbing every day, top of the notch rehab, stim, ultrasound. You name it. What about Crosby? Out. How long is Crosby out for? I don't think it's known yet. They haven't really even disclosed. It's like what upper body injury is all they're basically saying, right? Yeah, I haven't seen it. I don't know what it is, but it I know like it, pretty, it, it looked like a pretty inconspicuous hit. Like if you see it, um, you know he's hit along the boards, along the dashers, near near one of the benchers. Uh, one of the benches. I'm saying dashers and benchers, but uh, it's Christmas. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, it's. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm not quite sure what it is, but it uh, it doesn't look serious when you watch the hit. But he hasn't been really seen on the ice since, so it's got to be something significant. Yeah. So that's big, that's I, big I for Penguins. Yeah. Colorado's got some injuries. Uh, there's there's a few teams out there where they have some, their best players injured. So definitely going to affect those teams in the next few weeks, especially Toronto. Yeah, we had a, um, you know, one of the a guests of the show from back, uh, you know, kind of in our early stages was Adam Fox uh, for the Rangers. And Adam who Fox, man. Fox? Yeah, who the, we were kind of, well, we weren't like that, but, uh, you know, we kind of came up with this who the Fox at kind He's of. He's a Harvard that, boy. I was going to bring that up. Harvard, but... Yeah, National I mean, Harvard, team development. Yeah, he's a Harvard boy, but I mean, now he's playing for the Rangers now, and he's contributing bigly. I mean, he is, uh, he's he's uh, playing the point on the power play. Uh, he had a game-winning assist last night. He's you know he's notched notched a goal or two here. You know, he's he's really a big-time contributor to the Rangers, and I like his style of play, man. He's a smart hockey player. Um, he really is. He's all over the ice right now, and. Um, I, I just thought we ought to at least, you know, put his name out there because um, he really is contributing in a major way for the Rangers. It was kind of fun to watch last night. I mean, you know, Capo scored that goal to win the game last night for the Rangers. But, I mean, that, that was all Adam Fox. He, I mean, he set that mm-hmm. thing up. He put on a silver platter for Capo to, to, to dice at home. So, um, Kudos to him. David yeah. Quinn, you know, he watched him at Harvard. So, good. Good point, Derek. Uh, you know, that's probably why they interviewed him after the game and not Capo. You know, yeah. uh, they, they actually recognized that and just didn't interview the guy that had the goal. So uh, yeah, he got a yeah. little good pre- – he had some good press after the game. I watched that interview for a little bit. And there a was a thing. time, too. There was a time during that game, like uh, towards the end of the game, where the Rangers were on the power play and, uh, you know, they kept they kept trying to get the puck out of the zone and Fox must have, yeah, he, he saved that puck from one of the zone, like not just easy, like saves of getting it, 
you know, stopping it from going out of the zone, but he stopped it from going out of the zone so many times and it created so many scoring chances for the Rangers. I was very impressed watching him play. And, you know, the Rangers are a team that have like seven players that are 21 years old or younger, and they've got a winning record right now. I mean, a lot of these guys, the Rangers weren't a team, you know, picked to thrive at all in the Atlantic, um, or I'm sorry, in the Metropolitan Division, but uh, they might make some noise. You know, some of these young guys get gelling together. Like I've said in the last couple of podcasts, they, they might be a threat way before we thought they'd be. I, uh, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I thought it was going to be a three-year, three to five-year build, but it might come sooner. Yeah, yeah. We're only out of the gates here. We've got uh, another, what, 40 days until the end of December, and that's the halfway mark. So, you know, got to remember St. Louis was last coming uh, January 1st. The Wild got a chance, boy. Ah, uh, so you're saving hey, the chance. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we've been shitting on the wild and I've watched a lot of their games. And um, like I said last week, I mean, it's just they, they they're just in these games, except for maybe one or two. They've been in every game and they've, they've made a couple of mistakes, uh, penalty here and there. But uh, they've, they easily could have four, four or five wins uh, to their tally. Um, they're just I think it's motivational. I, I, I'm telling you, you know, look, you're not seeing the, Early in the season, Donato was a healthy scratch. Now, I'm not saying he's the all-star there, but I'm just saying this is an example. They sat him. He was a healthy scratch. He came back. What you were expecting to see is a bunch of shots on that, maybe some good opportunities and a goal. And instead, what he's getting is spotty ice time, no consistency, and, you know, he's not playing with, uh, you know, I forget who he was playing with. Uh, last season when he came in hot. But, you know, look, these guys are good players on that team, and they are sucking. And I don't think it's – it's not X's and O's. They know X's and O's. It's not how to play. It's not anything that – they are not putting the right people on the on the sheet together at the right time. That's a coach. Yep. I mean, he's Parisi, Stahl, Zucker, um, Zuccarello. They need. To, they've started to produce, especially that Stahl line with, with Zuccarello uh, and Zucker. They've been playing pretty well. Um, and now what they're talking about with the Wild is they really need to get production out of their young guys because they have so many. Uh, Cunning's been playing well. He's been getting on the score sheet. He was, he was out with an illness last week. But Cunning, Greenway, uh, Erickson Eck, Donato, they need these guys, some of these young guys to step it up. And if we want to talk about Greenway real quick uh, – yeah, he's been a force since he came back from injury, and he's been getting the puck out of the corners, making a lot of plays. He's actually made a lot of plays. Uh, if you watch the games, he was on the ice for most of their goals. So um, he's been doing really well. He's been shooting the puck, I think, twice as much as he used to, which is uh, nice to see from him. He's actually uh, looking to shoot first at some points and not not, not make the, the passing play. So uh, a lot of props to Greenway. He's getting a lot of good press from from the analysts. Uh, he's been playing really well. Obviously, a local kid from where we are, uh, giving him a shout out tonight because he's been playing pretty stellar. Uh, he just hasn't been on the score sheet since he came back from his his uh, his injury. Lights but everybody out. everybody is noticing his play, and you know it's hard to believe that he's not on that sheet the way he's playing right now. Yeah, That's hopefully it'll five. pay it off. It'll pay off here soon. Six five, six seven on skates. You know, I, the, the kid has some excellent hands. 
you know what I what I would like to see out of him is I think personally he can control a game. I don't think he has the confidence level yet to, to, to take control of the game, but at six seven, you know, with as fast as he is, the hands that he has, you know, I think he could do things a little bit different. I would use him differently than all Bruce is. I'm telling you, when when he is on the power play, you cannot take your eyes off of him. When he's in the middle of that and everybody's passing the puck around the outside, if you're not paying attention to the center, Greenway is going to either suck the defense in, which is going to allow the shots from the outside, and if they go out too far, he's going to bury you from a pass on the, to the middle. So for me, that would be my anchor around the power play and that's i mean and, and and yeah i agree with you rob and that and that's the thing what bruce changed up too he's not having a guy in front of the net on the power play he's having him float you know in between the slots a little higher up on uh on the circle yeah. which i don't know well, why it I seems mean. like we pick on brucey so much and i i don't i don't dislike <laughs> him but he can go you know coach another team as far as i'm concerned <laughs> just move on um, yeah. What I want to see out of him, though, is control that game. You know, we were effective because as soon as the puck dropped, there are three periods, and you have to win the first puck drop, you have to win that first period, and then you go and you, you take the second period and you, the third period. you got to put three periods together. And I think with Jordan out there, what he has to do is take the first period and bang the fucking bodies because the second period, they're going to be looking over the back, and the third period, they're going to be so tired that the game is over by then. I think he yep. can control the game, but I, I don't know that he has that, that confidence of, you know, this is my fucking ice sheet. When the puck is out there on my side and you got it, I'm going to bang into the boards. I'm going to take it and try and look for somebody. Or, or you know, he, he's got the offense. Like you said, he's picking that stuff up, so he's got the – the intuition to do yeah. that. I want to see him come out physical, own that sheet, and then make space for the you know the, the soft game. And when you talk about you got to be ready the first first puck drop in the first period, that's been the biggest downfall for the Wild the last few weeks. Uh, they've been down every game. Um, they've never come out and scored the first goal. Last night, I think it was two minutes into the game, Tubes let in a fucking terrible goal. Uh, didn't control the rebound. It was underneath them, and you couldn't find the puck, right? So now it's you know two minutes into the game, they're down one nothing. Uh, so you know they just need to find a way to to score first and get on top and get that momentum first in the game uh, because they're coming from behind every night. So you know it's uh, it's been a rocky season for them, but you know the the Predators. I mean they're in a tough division, right? They are the the Predators are playing well. Uh, you know, Dallas isn't you know slouch. If you take that Central Division, Winnipeg, I mean. Just go down the list. They've been on a West Coast run right now. But even going the West Coast, you know, they just had to play, um, you know, the Sharks, the Kings are not that great, but Anaheim's good. Um, you know, uh, Phoenix. I mean, most of the teams that they just played on that road trip are, are good teams. And yeah. um, it, it's a tough schedule, right? So they don't have too many slouches. They're not playing Ottawa. They're not playing, um, you know, some of these lighter teams in the division. Uh, which there aren't as many as there used to be, but you know the the Red Wings, maybe even the Blackhawks these days. Um, but you know that's the thing; they've been playing some good teams, so you know it's it's not easy to win against some of the best teams in the NHL. No doubt. 
What else we want to get into tonight, boys? Uh, any other teams in the in the Central we want to touch on, Pat, or uh, out in the Pacific? I mean, um, I just want to say Zach Bogosian's looking to come back. He's day to day now, um, so that's huge. Another local guy up from where yep. from. Um, this might be coming back. Which... It might be good timing for Zach too. They're yeah. you know they're losing a couple games here. Time to get the big boy back in the lineup. Maybe throw some bodies around, kick some ass, take some names. You know, allow uh, the Olafsons to get back on the power play and find his group again. Um, you know, Eichel, all those guys, Skinner. Yeah. Time to um, make some decisions too. Who's going to be playing on the top six and who's going to be healthy scratches on? You know, they're gonna they got two D that are coming back, and you know they've got six that are playing. So who's you know that are playing well? Um, so that'll be interesting to see who gets bumped. Maybe somebody gets traded. Uh, speaking of trades, uh, I think the biggest rumor right now is Taylor Hall down in New Jersey and where he's going to go. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't heard where he's going to go, but I mean, I hear he's definitely going somewhere. They're, they're saying, but yeah, I think it's a lot of speculation right now. But yeah, I mean, he he scored a pretty nasty goal the other night too, getting basically tackled from behind and, and buried one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's he's got a lot to contribute. It doesn't look like the uh, you know the Devils are definitely uh, you know. Under, uh, under, underachieving. <laughs> underachieving. There you go. Underachieving is the term. So you're going to start seeing a sell-off from teams that are underachieving, you know, just like in any sport. So um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where he, where he ends up. I, I wouldn't see. I wouldn't think they would trade him within within the division. Who, but who knows? I mean, it's uh, they'll probably get what they can get for him. And He's going uh, well. all the best. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good teams, man. There's a lot of good teams. I don't. I, you know, it's not. You know. I think Rob, you know, you're you're covering the the Pacific out there. Um, you know, Arizona is a team that just I I just love to watch some of their games. I've I've watched yeah. a couple of the games. I've seen a lot of their highlights. You know, they've got you know Darcy Kemper is is a goaltender out there. Uh, I mean, they got uh, Connor Garland playing for him. Uh, Kessel uh, Garland just I mean he just keeps popping in game winning goals and shootouts uh, left and right. Uh, that team out there is. Yeah, I mean they're fun, they're fun to watch. I mean they're a dangerous team. They're in second place out in the Pacific, and you know right behind Edmonton, who was completely unexpected to be where they're at. Um, oh, I mean, so yeah, I mean Pacific, you got Edmonton, Arizona, Vancouver, and Calgary, and then Vegas, right? So I mean, even if you wanted to go one further, Anaheim, Anaheim's playing tough hockey right now too. Oh yeah. Oh, so yeah. their top six, you know, that's a pretty tough lineup. I mean, can you imagine being a hockey player and living out in California? I mean, it seems no, like it's happening, right? Uh, it's definitely different. I, I spent some time out there, and you know, it was it was definitely nice in the middle of winter when you were hanging out on the beach and palm trees and flip flops and going to the game and you know, like palm trees around the arena. Definitely pretty tell, cool. Tell our listeners about our hockey team we're starting in Hawaii. Or not yet. <laughs> Well, we're doing some we're doing some recruiting. So, All right. You know, send your applications and we'll go through them and see what we got. You know, girls are welcome. Um, just photos, please. But uh, anyways, the, uh, the other team. Down. <laughs> the the, uh, the lightning fellas. They're third from the bottom in the Atlantic. I mean, we they're they're uh, played fifteen games or eight and five. You know, just to see them behind the they're behind the Canadians, behind the Panthers, behind the Sabers. Obviously, the Maple Leafs. Four, 
Who went over to uh, Sweden with Buffalo? That was Tampa, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they picked up four points over there, so that was big. Two wins against Buffalo, yeah. Yeah, and Buffalo's still ahead of them in the standings by two points. So, I mean, that was huge for them to get those two points, but they're only ahead of the Senators and the the Red Wings, right? So, uh, by three points. So they're they're ahead of the they're from the bottom of the division they're three points out of the bottom of the barrel right so I think that's probably our biggest surprise of the, of the year so far is what's going on in Florida. In Tampa I think Bay. that I, this might sound stupid, but I think that's actually good for them. I think uh, I think this is a good place for them to be right now. I think uh, you know they're they're snoozing off the hangover of last year's crushing uh, playoff scenario, but I think this is a good place. You know they they obviously didn't perform well when they were the lead cat, so maybe this. Uh, slight underdog role will suit them well as the, as the season progresses. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it's actually a good place for them to be. And I think you will see them at the top of that, divi- at the top of that division before long. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I still hold them. I, I don't know I, if they don't, if they don't place well, I'm still going to have a bad taste. In my mouth. So, yeah. 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 But you know, like Derek just mentioned the, the, the Yotes. I mean, we talked about them before second in the division right now i mean so like you look at the pacific oilers coyotes and vancouver top three teams and they're ahead of the, the flames vegas the ducks the sharks i mean we probably would have thought those four teams would have been ahead of all of those three teams you know so we are seeing a little bit of parity and uh in these divisions it's it's kind of you know flip-flopped a little bit from last year i think the exactly. central division is probably one of the the leagues that really hasn't changed, you know, Blues, Avalanche, Preds, you know, uh, Winnipeg. But, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes. In a lot of ways, I think of it like a a horse race coming out of the gates, right? You know, most of the time, the the horse that's out first is going to get sucked down. And, (laughs) you know, after the, the second half of the race, you know, everybody really kicks it on and the guys in the middle of the second, you know, towards the end of the pack really come on and end up coming past. Sounds like he too at the bar goes out strong and then he just fucking <laughs> has Peter's out. Marker's on, marker on his face. <laughs> yeah, we got a couple games tonight. The Islanders, uh, I think the Islanders won tonight again. Uh, I, I think I that's the biggest surprise to me is the Islanders. I think they're going to go fire this year. Although I'm still on Colorado. A, a big surprise, yeah. I, I, Colorado the, or Minnesota is going to win the cup. Yeah, who else? So we had the, the Leafs. Oh, the Islanders beat the Leafs 5-4. So that was a big win for them. The Senators beat the Devils. I mean, there's your bottom of the barrel game. The, the Senators 4-2. Uh, and the Capitals beat the Flyers in a shootout tonight. So a couple games going on right now while we're on the show. It was the Stars and the Flames. one nothing Stars over the Flames in the second end of the second and the Blackhawks are losing to, to Vegas in the first two to one. So some games going on right now. Um, you know, we got a lot of hockey going on. We got a lot of talk, a lot to talk about. Uh, great interviews coming up. We've been locking in some, some really good interviews. So make sure you're checking us out. We got Waddell, the GM of the Carolina, uh, Carolina Hurricanes coming on. Craig Conroy, uh, assistant GM of the Flames. Um, I mean, I'm probably forgetting a couple of people, but Good stuff coming up. If you haven't listened to our other 80 episodes, get on to any podcast platform. Check us out there. Check out our Facebook, Twitter for all the updates of what's going on in the NHL news and you know what we've got going on with the show. We've also got 
some new merchandise that we'll be rolling out. So we'll be telling you about that coming up real soon. New merch. New merch, baby. Right. We also got the branded bills. So if you want to check out brandedbills.com, you should check out their lids. We've got some sweet Blue Line Hockey Club lids for branded bills. Um, you got to get on their site, check them out. You can customize them. Check out our YouTube of this podcast. I'm holding up with a hat right now if you want to check out what our Blue Line uh, Hockey Club hats look like. But stick uh, hats. Sick hats. Yep, check them out. Big sponsor of the Blue Line Hockey Club now. So, brandbills.com. Check them out. Uh, great company. And you read about their story. Uh, it's pretty cool. Real patriotic com- uh, uh, company. So, you big things there. You want to tell them real quick about the leather patch? Or no? Did you tell them about the Yeah, so uh, what Brandon Bills does is they came up with a way to they take a big piece of leather and they, they uh, take a laser cutter, I believe, and cut the whatever logo oh, you want yeah. out of a a piece of leather and then they put it on a hat and they take a brand and brand your logo onto leather. So very cool, uh, innovative uh, way to make hats and they have, if you're from a certain state and you want to get a hat that has your state logo on it or they got a lot of USA flag hats and stuff like that, that's kind of how they started out. That was their story. And now they've branched out to doing a lot of custom stuff. So, you know, very cool hats. If you like to get something unique that nobody else is wearing, check out brandonbills.com. It's uh, really good stuff. So, all right, boys, another great episode with Steve Davinsky tonight. And uh, check us out next week and don't miss an episode of Blue Line Hockey Club. All right, boys, until next time, keep your stick on the ice. Good. Middle. Oh, doctor. <laughs>